Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading researchers, authors, and clinicians discussing issues in attachment theory. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. Today, Karen concludes her discussion with Kim Fagan Hansel, editor of Fostering Families Today, on the journalistic view of foster care and adoption. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I am Karen Doyle-Buckwalter, your host, joining you from the Knowledge Center at Chaddock for another episode. So let me tell you a bit about our guest today. Our guest is Kim Fagan Hansel, and she is a managing editor of the imprint and also fostering families today. And we're going to talk a bit more about uh, the imprint and what that is. Um, And she is a journalist, writer, and is going to be bringing us, you know, a bigger, broader perspective of attachment, adoption, child welfare, um, through her years of writing on these topics. Kim was also in 2014 honored with the Angels in Adoption Award from the Congressional Coalition on Adoption Institute. That same year, Fostering Families Today magazine uh, received the Adoption Excellence Award from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Kim has a bachelor's degree in English and journalism, and prior to her work covering child welfare issues, she worked for the Longmont Daily Times call in Colorado as a special sections editor. Today, Kim resides in Wyoming, and I love seeing pictures she posts from there with her husband and two children when she's not writing, editing, and focusing on the important work that she contributes to. She's busy chauffeuring kids and empowering preteens as a Girl Scout leader. So stay tuned, and I will be coming right up with my interview with Kim Fagan Hansel. Supporting children and families who have experienced great loss and endured extreme trauma is a daunting task. At Chaddock, we have the experience and longevity to understand the type of support needed to keep the best and brightest engaged with this work. This July, the Knowledge Center at Chaddock launches the Developmental Trauma and Attachment Institute for helpers who seek to be rejuvenated and revitalized in their work with children and families. This type of renewal and confidence is a natural byproduct of gaining specialized knowledge, advanced skills, consultation, guidance, mentorship, and most importantly, being in a community providing the experience of being seen and understood. We have designed an experience in a soft place to land where all of these needs will be met in one central place. For more information on the development Developmental Trauma and Attachment Institute, or to sign up, visit tkcchaddock.org. So hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I'm here with Kim Fagan Hansel to continue the discussion we started last week about, I guess what I'm calling, a journalistic view of attachment, foster care and adoption. Thank you for being here, Kim. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that as we wrapped up previously, we were talking about was, you know, recognition that 
some of the systems that we have set up are not working and are broken. And we were talking about that in the context of overall trends that you have seen. Um, you mentioned more research happening, which is so positive and good. You know, one of the things that I would like to hear about, if you have some thoughts to share, is adoption trends. And, you know, international adoption has in terms of numbers, I believe would have really pretty drastically changed since you first started this work. Yeah, for sure. I think in the 90s, the highs were like 20, a little over 20,000 um, children being adopted internationally. And I I haven't checked in a while, but I definitely think we were well below 5,000. Now with the issue of what's going on in Ukraine, that was another country that we were open, um, that was open. And those are being halted. This I know the State Department issued um, a statement, you know, that they would not be moving forward with adoptions that were in the process because ultimately the Ukraine government can't function right now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So those are pretty significant changes. And and do you have thoughts or an understanding of why those numbers dropped? Like, wh- why is that? What? Why? Why was there? You know, such a high number that has really dwindled so significantly. Sure. I think there's a lot of reasons. I think it's dependent on each country. I think much like we are looking at our own system and saying it's better for young people to be raised by their biological families or kin or in their own country. These countries have also done the same thing, Um, especially like China. They've worked really hard on a domestic adoption program. I know Guatemala has done the same. Uh, At one point in time, those were the two top countries for adoption. Uh, We had a Russia program and that went by wayside of pretty much the same reason why there's a war because of some of those things. They didn't want their children coming to the United States anymore. Um, Ethiopia, there was a lot of corruption going on. I think uh, sometimes that was... a a big trend is there'd be a new hotspot country and everybody would get on the bandwagon to go to that country. And then pretty soon there would be a lot of people trying to take advantage of those situations, unfortunately. Um, And there were a lot of uh, just, you know, not good practices going on. China has been the most consistent um, and the most like, just probably the best program, I would say, for a very long time. But the wait for a uh, healthy infant at this point in time, last time I knew was like six years. Um, There's a small special needs program that they have. But, you know, it's just slowly dwindled. And a lot of people think of that as a bad thing. And I really don't. I really think of, you know, that for the most part, these these countries have created programs that their children can stay in their own countries and Mm -hmm. be adopted or fostered um so you know i think i think that's positive yeah and um so you know we also have seen you know increases in things in in, in other I, i guess i should say 
other avenues that people um, have available to create their families. Um, surrogate, when you said the Ukraine, I, I was thinking about the large surrogacy program there because that's been in the news, like there's all these babies. Um, so I, I, I want to hear any thoughts that you have on that. And honestly, I'd also want to hear when you talk about corruption, I think it's important for our listeners to have some awareness of some of these things. I think there's been, you know, you mentioned earlier sort of the rainbows and unicorns thing. And I think people need to know that there's some really bad things, you know, in this that people should be aware of. So e- either the, those are big topics, you know, the, the the corruption that you've reported on or written about, as well as n- different ways people are currently forming families. Yeah, for sure. So I, you know, I would point to a couple of really good journalists who've done some work in that area. Um, Aaron Segal wrote a book called Finding Fernanda, which was a story about, you know, some corruption in Guatemala. It was a really amazing book to read. And, you know, she did a lot of research, a lot of work with the State Department in that um, work that she did. The other one, uh, Catherine Joyce has done some reporting on just kind of the corruption uh, around adoptions. And so I think, you know, looking her up, I know she had a kind of an op-ed piece about Ukraine just last week, I think, and, you know, talking about how when tragedy happens in these countries, a lot of times our first response is, we'll we'll take your children, let us take your kids. And that isn't always the way, that really isn't the way we should operate. We should right. be trying to help those families stay together. And it's, it's like the worst time to adopt because their, you know, their systems are in chaos. They need time to figure out if a child is indeed orphaned and if there's any kin uh, who might take them. The same thing that we are trying to do in the United States, you know, just keep that focus on biological family connections, foster care as a last option. So those are a couple of good resources that um, are good to consider. I mean, there is still domestic adoption. It's not, you know, like, those are not huge numbers. So I do feel for families who, you know, are challenged with infertility or have a heart and want to foster or adopt. Um, you know, there aren't a ton of options out there. And I think if you're going into fostering, you need to be going in with the idea that you're going to support reunification first. And then at the very end, if, if reunification isn't possible, then, then you'll be an adoptive placement. So I think those are, and that's not always easy, especially if you're just like, I just want a baby, you know, I want mm-hmm. a baby, but mm-hmm. these babies grow into adults and they need to be as prepared as possible, um, for what that looks like in parenting a child to adulthood. So, and I just don't think that taking part in corruption and some of these challenges that have happened, uh, someday you have to answer to that for the kids that you've adopted. Um, you know, someday they will be an adult and they'll want to know their story. And hopefully what you can share is that I did everything I could, mm-hmm. but we love you 
and we're so glad you're here, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you, you mentioned, you know, um, the word orphaned and, you know, sort of a little bit of a question mark beside it, um, because there has been this, I think an idea, um, particularly in the Christian community, I know that it, it kind of exploded, you know, um, with Christians should be taking care of orphans and, you know, they started big conference, the orphan summit and things like that. Um, but in the end it turned out, and I think this, you may have been alluding to this. Some of these kids aren't orphans. Yeah. So, um, UNICEF's definition of an orphan is that they have one living parent. So that is something that we need to understand is that sometimes people place, um, children in an orphanage in another country for a time so that they can, you know, get things together. They can figure things out and then come back and get the children. So, so just the definition of orphan internationally doesn't mean that they have no living parents. It also doesn't talk about whether they have any relatives who could care for them. So, um, I know the Christian Alliance for orphans. I've been to their conference many, many times they do a lot of great work. They have like, I really enjoyed the um, conversation. They invited Catherine Joyce to the conference, had a super intense conversation about, you know, some of these things. So I think they're doing hard work. They're doing good work. They're not only um, focused on adoption. They're definitely focused on family reunification as well. And there's a lot of great programs around the country that are doing that. that Yes. 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 Just, you know, I hear you saying have a balanced understanding of this, you know, you know, both sides of it. Um, Yeah. And I think that is so important. So you alluded to this in the very beginning of our conversation in our previous uh, podcast that was released about the voice of adult adoptees. And, you know, I was surprised to hear that even at the time that you started with the, the magazine, that, that, that was something that was being embraced, but uh, I also think that you would agree, we'll find out when I ask you this, um, that the voice of adoptees is has become more and more recognized and heard, um, not just international adoption, but also within transracial adoption, which we haven't even touched on yet. <laughs> um, so I would like to hear some of your thoughts about um, elevating the voice of adoptees or, at least, oh, you know, at least bringing it to, to, you know, equal level with others. I mean, maybe we haven't even achieved elevating it yet. And then also thoughts about uh, transracial adoption that you might have. Yeah, for sure. So I would, I was thinking about it this morning. I was like, I would call it rising power for these young people from foster care adoptees. They've really, coming into their own right now. I, I think like just that. Did, did you yes. just come up with that term? Just, yeah. I, yeah. This morning I was just like, I think it's just this rising power. And we have a program, a youth voice program at uh, fostering media connections that we do. So we're, you know, elevating the voices of those young people in both fostering families today. And then on the imprint. So we're doing that. 
Um, and, um, so, and then also, you know, we're asking these young people to serve in different boards at state levels, at federal levels. There's so many organizations just really focused on bringing them into the decision-making place where they should be. They definitely belong there um, as we're crafting new policy and legislation that impacts, you know, basically their fellow, you know, foster youth and adoptees as well. So I think it's really an amazing time to kind of see what they're all doing. And I'm just like really proud of them. It's, it's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. And um, what about with transracial adoption? I mean, I, I think there have been some death. Well, we know in terms of issues of race, even outside of adoption have, have been being talked about more in the United States, but you know, what have you seen related specifically to transracial adoption? Yeah. I mean, it's a very complex, uh, very complex. I know like when I first started, you know, there was very little talking about, I think PACT was doing some work. Rhonda Rorta has some really great books sharing the voices of those impacted by transracial adoption. I think there's going to be a lot more in this space and I don't really know where it's going right now. I definitely, you know, I would tell people to check out the imprint because there's a lot of stuff. I want to have you just share more about that whole thing and what it even is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So the imprint is our online news site dedicated to child welfare and youth justice issues. So we're diving into federal policy and legislation. We're looking at state-specific trends and things that are going on, policies that are being implemented. You know, one area is youth justice is huge right now. And the the discussion around raising the age of incarceration so that we're not putting juveniles, uh, detaining them, um, but finding closer to home, facilities that work with trauma, those kinds of things. Um, So we cover a lot of that, those issues. We are paying attention to what's going on federally, telling amazing stories of people who are impacted by these systems. Yeah. So, you know, and there is a lot of, um, you know, discussion around, the system being racist and biased against people of color. There are children are disproportionately black and brown in the foster care system. So it's looking at what's bringing them into the system. Is there a way that we're, you know, eliminating that bias and that racism as we're looking at them and their families? Um, Definitely Native American issues, the same kind of thing. The Supreme Court's going to look at um, the Indian Child Welfare Act soon. So that's something that we're keeping our eye on and understanding because, um, you know, as we understand that, that's going to have resounding impacts beyond just the child welfare part of Native American rights. It could have pretty resounding impacts on Native American rights in general. So that's something that we're keeping an eye on. So, 
you know, there's just a wealth of, of pieces that we're constantly writing about um, that you guys can check out on the imprint. So, and so, you know, people could uh, just Google imprint or is there also like maybe like a news alert or newsletter or anything like that, that people would want to look into? Yeah. So it's the imprintnews.org okay. um, is our website. And then we have multiple newsletters. We have um, our regular newsletters. We have some New York, California, Minnesota, and Texas focused newsletters too. So those are all things that um, people can check out and sign up for on our website as well. Okay. Okay. So I, you know, I also wanted to ask you over these years, what are some of the most popular topics or, you know, what is something that's like a perennial issue? Oh my gosh, we're doing another article on this or, you know, uh, and I'm sure it's changed over the years. So just kind of whatever comes to mind, but it, you know, very popular topics that, that people just can't get enough information about, or, you know, that, that is always something people are interested in, you know, what, what have you noticed about that in, in the years of, you know, working with the magazines? Yeah, I think we talk a lot about trauma and attachment. Yes. Because I think people don't understand what that looks like in action, if that makes sense. So they don't know how to, um, how to make that attachment, how to build attachment, how to be a trauma-informed parent without explanation of what does that look like in your daily life? You know, is that story time with your kids every night? Is it extra cuddles? Is it conversations? So I think that is probably a huge part of the pieces that we share in the magazine have to do with trauma and attachment. Um, we're doing, we have some columns. We have a new research column that is called making brainwaves. So we're just trying to stay up on whatever new research is coming out and how that might apply to parenting. We have a column, um, from April Dinwoody, who is, um, an adult ad transracial adoptee. So you're hearing that perspective um, on a regular basis. We have um, another new column called From All Angles, where we're trying to elevate the voices of those black and brown people with lived experiences um, and who may be able to talk about some of those, you know, tran either transracial parenting or just a greater understanding of some of those Im issues impacting the system in general. So we have all of those things. Um, you know, I'm working on our May-June issue right now, which May is National Foster Care Month. So we're celebrating all kinds of families. So that issue is going to highlight all the different kinds of families that make up foster care, uh, kinship care, adoption. And then we'll also be releasing our Youth Voice Contest winners. So there's, there's these beautiful poems and um, articles written by young people. So it's always a pretty fun issue. Oh, yeah. So, so say more about that. What, what, what's the, how's the contest set up? How does it work? Yeah, we do a contest every year um, where we let young people submit pieces and give them a nice little cash reward if they're chosen. Um, uh -huh. So 
So we, we dual publish those in fostering families today and on the imprint in May, kind of in celebrating of flipping the script a little bit on foster care and elevating those um, people with lived experience. Um, so that's one thing we just finished up. We did a special higher education guide. We just finished up. It's really saying like, it's literally in the mailboxes right now called college ready career prepared. So we just looked at everything young people need to know to, you know, be ready for college or for a career after college or after high school. I don't know, you know, the statistics are very dismal about 3% of former foster youth achieve a college degree. So we wanted to put together this special issue that would maybe help guide some of those young people on that path because it's it's not easy. So we had a really great uh, youth uh, contributor who worked on the project with us through the whole thing. She was our consultant, and so it was it was really fun to work on that. And we're going to do another um, special issue this fall on taxes and finances. Okay, so you know, going back to that question about popular topics was there ever a story that you remember that just garnered so much reaction either super positive super negative like this was some kind of seminal thing or does any anything come to mind um in these years that you were there with that it's probably a hard question Yeah, it is. I mean, I know, like for me, the ones that stay with me, um, it's hard to think like the ones that people like really, I I mean, I have people come up to me at conferences frequently and they're like that last issue you did that one story, that's the Mm -hmm. one I needed that day. So that's that's encouraging for you to keep going with this work. Yeah, definitely. So, and that's what I always, you know, want people to take away is, you know, I know like as a parent, we're all super busy. We don't have a lot of time, but the, that this is something that a foster parent who works really hard to, you know, get licensed, to maintain that license, who's trying to make a difference for these kids, that it honors what they do, that it comes to them, you know, every other month that they can look at it and be like, I'm important because look at, there's a whole magazine dedicated to the work that I'm doing. So I really, you know, that's for me, that's the, those are the things that make me keep going 20. Yes. Well, (laughs) I want to get back in a minute to, you know, accessing the the magazine and all of that. But before that, um, I wanted to just check, you mentioned a couple of books earlier And are there any other books that you feel are like must reading or, you know, they're your top books or you often recommend in terms of, you know, over the years of looking at all these issues? Is there any, I mean, of course, lots of our listeners are readers too. So, or they could listen to it on audio. (laughs) Yeah, that's, um, we, I actually have read a lot because um, we do have just an issue on resource reviews that you can also yes. find on our website. So there's a so lot right there. there's one thing people could go to the website and look at that for reviews. Okay. For sure. So I, I mean, and I enjoy a lot of books. You have a great book. Um, I you. did the foster parenting toolbox and the kinship parenting toolbox. So those are two books 
Um, I see a lot of parents in the groups talking about the connected child. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed um, Bruce Perry's book last year. Mm -hmm. With Oprah. Yes, I really yes. enjoyed that one. I thought, and you know, what happened was, to you, right? Yes, what, what happened, happened to you? Yes. And I thought that one was good because it was more than just about this community. I think there was a lot of places where it just applied to people's lives in general, you know? Yes. Yes, that's true. So, yeah. I think that was good. Um, the May issue, I'm going to put together a list of books that are by former foster youth. Okay. So, you know, they, there's a wealth of, um, art of books by them as well. Um, so yeah, it's hard to choose because there's a lot of really good ones. There's so much. <laughs> there's so much. So how does, you know, you've shared how to act access the imprint and newsletters and things. What about um, the uh, the fostering uh, families today publication? How is best for people to access that? Yeah, you can find us online at fosteringfamiliestoday.com. Uh, we also have a Facebook page and we have some Facebook groups that are tied to the two books I talked about. So we have the Kinship Toolbox group and we have the, okay. kids, um, the Foster Parent Toolbox group. So, oh, that's so, great. That's such great resources for listeners to hear about. Yeah, for sure. And those are pretty large groups. Um, so people can find those online. We have a newsletter as well, and you can sign up for that on our website and you can find links to, you know, all of our Instagram and Facebook and everything on the website. So. Oh, good. All those social media handles and such. Uh, all right. <laughs> we won't even go into that since we're out of time, but I'm sure social media has changed a lot of things in, in your uh, journalism. Endeavors in this area too, so it's a whole other topic. But I really want to thank you for your time here today, Kim. You know, your perspective is so it's it's sort of like a longitudinal step back that you could share with us, as well as some of the resources you talked about that I think will be very, very helpful for people. So I want to thank you for your time and for being here with us today. I really appreciate it. It's been a great conversation. It's, you know, I always like to talk about it. And sometimes I have to remember to, that not everybody cares as deeply as I do about foster care and adoption. <laughs> um, yeah. But yes, I appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchaddock.org, or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts for future episodes. If you enjoy our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please visit tkcchaddock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.